figured it out in the end. Yeah. I was literally just about to say to you, sorry about the stain on the mattress, I cried last night, and that's my mascara. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is that actually your mascara? It yeah, is, yeah. I love that. Thank you, that's thank you. That's good Yeah, I, I thought that. it added, like, an ambience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good fun. Yeah. Hi. Hi, Ruben. Thank you. Hello. Hello, Hello. how are you doing? I'm really good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Very, that, very good. That is really good. That's so really good. good. You are here, dear listeners, um, with Creative Conversations, episode... One, two, three. We are on four. Favourite number. <laughs> Favourite number. That's perfect. Episode four. Um, this is the podcast where we talk to creative cool cats who we admire. <clears throat> um, and I guess that's you today. I guess it is. I mean, you said it. You said it. That's fun. Um, we're here. We've had our dinner. We've had a beautiful pasta cooked by Bo. Thank you. Um, and here we are with wine. This is a good wine. The whole treatment. <laughs> this one's actually just a goon. Oh, yeah, really? we switched it up. We switched it up. We finished the bottles. <laughs> Onto the fine. That's stuff. delicious. Yeah. I love it. I wouldn't have guessed. Oh, well, I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> Fuck. Um, please tell us, Bo, what do you do? Who are you? Um, I am a queer writer and bookseller, sometimes curve model, based in Melbourne. Beautiful. Um and yeah, that's kind of my shtick. Writing and literature, especially queer writing and literature, is my main focus. I'm a big activist. Mm-hmm. Um, halfway through a sociology and literature degree that I've deferred for the moment. Cool. Um, but yeah, queer literature, representation, and writing is everything for me. Mm-hmm. I'm currently working on my first novel. Beautiful. Yeah, so that's all fun. Very Great. fun. That's lovely. Um, tell us what your shirt says. I've been trying to read it all night and I haven't got a good look. <laughs> From this angle, you're going to have to be the one who reads okay. it. Okay. Um, it says, lovely readers, uh, I will remind myself that I deserve to live my queerness for all those who came before, who exist now, those to come, and above all, for myself. I love that. Thank you. It's thank you. Sweet. Thank you. Got it from a little trans creator in America. I can't remember their Etsy name. Cute. Um, but completely upcycled. I love that. Yeah. Are really sustainably available? made. They are still Great. available. Yeah. There's one that's about transness as well. So I it's good. I enjoy that. Yeah. Enjoy that. I might pop a link up in oh the my description. God. Done, 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 done. If I remember. <laughs> we will, we will. We'll listen back. <laughs> Definitely. Um, amazing. So tell me, what do you like to write about? What do you like to read? Well, at the moment, the novel that I'm writing is called Bury What You Cannot Swallow, mm-hmm. which is, I would say, like a literary, emotional gothic um, dealing with kind of a queer return to home and what that can mean for queer people and then kind of exacerbating the emotional experience of that and the way that going home for some queer people can kind of feel like a little bit of a horror story and like mm-hmm. playing with that kind of yeah, emotional horror, mm-hmm. more so than traditional horror, and looking at kind of claustrophobia of feelings and return to a self in a past that you thought you'd left behind. Mm-hmm. And I guess I would say it's semi-autobiographical, just mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, but the protagonist is that in that one is also someone who has left a somewhat toxic family environment and has moved to Melbourne and really found themselves in their queerness and their queer community and then has to return home for a somewhat kind of tragic event and deal with a lot of what they've left behind. Mm-hmm. Um, which has been quite fun to write. It's very, I guess, interesting dealing with fiction that's semi-autobiographical yeah. because you're kind of extended a power to rewrite your own story, which is quite nice. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, your creative practice very much becomes a form of therapy and introversion yeah. into things that potentially you haven't looked at in quite a while. Um, so it is interesting to be kind of diving back into that and 
now that COVID is kind of easing up here, I've been applying for quite a few grants and I'm hoping to get a kind of travel writing grant to head out to a Mount Macedon area and kind of experience the seasons in like peak winter, peak summer, and really kind of fall into where I think this family is living and what those two polars of like an Australian summer and winter can really be like. And Mm. yeah, returning to family homes in like the depth of winter and not being able to leave and just being in that house with people that you've kind of not so much moved on from, but haven't really dealt with. Yeah. um, It's fun to explore and having that kind of, slight magical realism element to it is quite fun too. And yeah, again, reclaiming your narrative in a way that's somewhat fantasized and where you can either give yourself more power or change like characters of your mother or your family members and kind of deal with, yeah, any of your own trauma or any of your own experiences in a new light. Yeah. Yeah. I admire that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's Yeah. yeah, it's been a process. I'm very much in the kind of beginning phase of, like world and character building yeah. and figuring everything out and drawing pictures of the houses and the bathroom and what I think the characters would wear. I love and that you do that. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I've been on like realestate.com looking at houses in Mount Macedon of like, what kind of manner would they live in? Uh-huh. And like, what kind of fancy house would this old money family be mm-hmm. living in? Um, which is really, really great. And then, yeah, so hoping to head out to Mount Macedon to kind of fall into that because mm-hmm. it's all been kind of in my head and with COVID and stuff and not being able to get out and people watch and do things that I would normally do to kind of like spark writing creativity. I'm very excited to get out there and really kind of fall into an isolated house in like pouring rain in winter and kind of think about what it would be like going home to a family in that and reflecting on my own family experiences and Mm -hmm. kind of seeing my characters in a place that I've already imagined. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. No, I really do admire that. Thank you. Thank you. Like I, being also um, someone who dabbles in writing... There, there are so many ideas of, um, you know, writing your own experiences. And it is, for me, it's so daunting. Yeah. Just the things that doing so would bring up. And so I haven't, I haven't even tried. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, terrifying. So good on you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. It's definitely been, I think, writing something I've always kind of turned to to get my feelings yeah. out. And as you mentioned in that incredible piece that you wrote, which you should... <sighs> Definitely so mention, much. explain, post a link to on this as well. I will do. Um, that kind of notion of trauma being a category in queerness and queer art that is not overrepresented, but we have a magnitude of trauma stories mm-hmm. is something that I'm very aware of as like a bookseller and someone who kind of hand sells books that unfortunately have to kind of be like, get your box of tissues ready because this yeah. is going to be sad. Starting to write a book that is dealing with my own trauma, I was very much like is this another just, like, a trauma narrative of queerness? But there is also that element of, like, yeah, unfortunately that is what is there when we do kind of dive into ourselves right now. But then the, like, beautiful parts of the novel that I've really found are the kind of queer community that Wally, the main character, has found after moving to Melbourne and that kind of leaving a place just to find yourself and not knowing anyone on the other side and falling into just a place that is instantly supportive and the way that the queer community does become that chosen family, mm-hmm. which is really, really beautiful. And it's giving me a chance to reflect on not only kind of family trauma and stuff, but how significant the move away from my family yeah. to Melbourne has been and like the community that I found and all of that, which is really, really lovely to kind of be reflecting on and writing for myself too. It's mm-hmm. good. That is lovely. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You're so welcome.
It's good fun. So many topics to cover today. Oh, right. Where would you like to start? Um, I guess I could talk about first like community through literature and book mm-hmm. selling. I've been doing that for nearly eight years now. Um, and for people who have kind of grown up in maybe family environments or town environments that aren't queer supportive or are maybe quite toxic or abusive, um, having literature there was something that allowed me to access communities in ways that I couldn't do physically. Definitely. And that was just incredible. Like I remember being 14 and going into my local bookshop and importing queer literature targeted at young adults for the first time and waiting weeks for it to come Mm -hmm. and then reading it and really seeing myself in a book for the first time and what that was like and not doing that act of translation from a straight story to a queer person's life. And I didn't know I was queer at that point and the way that that resonated. And again, it was like a lot of kind of traumatic and sad stories, but feeling that kind of empathy for someone who was quite like me was such a kind of sparking what literature could do for me and what Mm -hmm. queer book selling and queer writing enables and just allows, Mm. which was incredible. And then, yeah, I started working in a bookstore very quickly after that. And I've only worked in kind of general independent bookstores, but have now been given kind of a little bit more freedom to be doing queer ordering and queer book selling, Mm -hmm. which is incredible. And I think as for like a lot of straight people who are straight and cis people who go into a bookstore that entire thing is for you. Like every single shelf is your history, your health, your joke books, your Mm -hmm. fiction, your nonfiction, science and everything. But you could go through and maybe pick out three things that are about queer health, if anything, or if anything, queer fantasy. (laughs) Like there's not that kind of range that is necessary and that's just given so freely to straight people. Yeah. So now being in this place of like being able to order in, queer books is incredible because I'm seeing such a diverse range of like queer health concern books and trans health guides Mm -hmm. and pronoun guides and books about queer history, not just in America, which tends to be kind of at the forefront, but in countries across the world. And then also like trashy fiction and YA fiction and books that are necessarily not incredible literature, but kind of allow that freedom of just queer existence in a way that isn't just perfect or satisfactory or like a trauma or camp story like Mm -hmm. there's slowly starting to be that kind of shift into just like everything and that's something that I definitely want to be able to do as a bookseller is have everything like queer people should be able to walk into a bookstore and have fiction fantasy health kids Mm -hmm. books like absolutely everything not just an lgbtqia plus section exactly exactly options yes definitely and just like that whole notion of like walking through a bookstore and if you were to pull out the books that were by queer authors or about queer subjects, the comparison of that to what's left is appalling. And Australia, I think, only has four queer bookstores. And I think I visited one of them recently. Hairs and Hyenas? No, it was in Sydney. um, Um, And it was phenomenal. Is it The Bookshop? Potentially. I bought a few books from there. Yeah. Um, And they are. They're incredible spaces. Great. And Hairs and Hyenas is absolutely yep. wonderful. Here in Melbourne. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but like the fact that there's only four, and I think that kind of speaks to a lot of queer venues in general. Like yeah. compared to 25 years ago, we had more bars, more spaces, a lot more lesbian bars than we do now. And a lot more spaces that were a little bit more queer than just kind of cis gay. Yeah. And it's so interesting to think that these places are closing down when the community is expanding so yes. much. 
and like, yeah, now being in this position where I'm like, I'm able to show people that the literature and the history and social commentary kind of does exist. And like, I just want everyone reading it because mm. especially for queer kids as well, I think reading doesn't really become something they pursue or enjoy because they don't see themselves reflected in them. Yes. But I think so much does exist now that people haven't kind of realised how much mm. is there for them to find themselves in. Yes. So I just kind of want to be there to be like, hey, you're queer, take yeah. this book home, you're going to love it. Yeah. And like to just have enough range there for people who, if they're maybe even too afraid to be like, hey, can I have a queer recommendation? They're going to have no problem finding it on the shelf mm-hmm. and like seeing a little bit of piece of themselves there. Mm-hmm. So I love it. And that's, yeah, I think one of the main ways I find community is through book selling and literature because... Yeah. It just transcends every kind of barrier that we have in terms of travel and race and every like kind of other kind of social conditioning that we've gone through. Like reading just enables you to have such a strong sense of empathy and to walk in people's shoes that you never would have been able to before Mm -hmm. and just grow and understand more. Yeah. And like kind of, yeah, just create that kind of interconnected human community, which I think is really important. And for queer people too, to be like, oh my God, there's a history that looks yes. like me and a, yeah, just everything that looks like me. Like it's all there yes. and we need to be able to access it easily. Yeah. I remember, it's so funny you, you bring that up about, um, uh, God, I wish I remembered your exact wording, but my brain has just died. So fair. But I didn't fall in love with reading until I started writing. Yeah. Um, and I remember writing my little, <laughs> I, writing my little, queer little fan fiction stories Love that. that I will not explain any further mm-hmm. than that. <laughs> um, <laughs> then I started seeking out queer books and I could not find any. Yeah. Yeah. And that was only what, how old am I now? 22. That mm-hmm. would have only been five, six, seven years ago. Yeah. What's yeah. that math? That's not correct. But around about then. Yeah. That would have been yeah, early teens, teens, early teens. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's not a long time. It's not at all. And even then, like, when I was ordering in those books, they were being imported from overseas. Yeah. And I do think, unfortunately, the Australian publishing industry does take a long time to get queer books in. And if they come out in America, it takes a long time for us to get them here. Mm -hmm. And Australian queer fiction and non-fiction, like, does exist, but we don't have a huge range. Mm -hmm. And it is somewhat limited. And it's unfortunate that they have to be imported because then that increases costs and things as well. Um. But yeah, and then that's why having queer bookshops and like queer booksellers, I think is so important because it's like most people are going to walk into a bookstore and think that there's nothing there for them yeah. or there's nothing that could tie into their kind of niche yeah. wants or interests and things like that. But for the most part, there is. Yeah. And like, that's the incredible job of the bookseller is to bridge that gap of mm-hmm. I'm getting a little understanding of your kind of existence from speaking to you. And like, I think I know what can kind of... Mm-hmm help you find yourself or see yourself reflected. And I think that's like the most beneficial part of the job is having that kind of, because it's not a queer bookstore as well, having people walk in and having my little queer dog go off and being like, okay, (laughs) I know you're going to love a queer read, but you haven't said anything. I don't just want to bombard you. Mm -hmm. But then like in a pile of recommendations, slipping one in and speaking about it and then instantly seeing them kind of be like, oh, okay, cool. We can talk about this. And then having them return to the store and being like, this was incredible. I can't mm. believe this kind of story exists. And just, yeah, bridging that gap is just so rewarding. Yes. So, so rewarding. And just, yeah, allows me to kind of consume and understand so many queer stories, which is incredible. Yeah. So, so good. That's lovely. I love it. Yeah. I don't think I'll ever stop book selling. Yes. It's going to be a tough one to leave. <laughs> and 
yeah, and just the even the shift in literature and stuff at the moment, and again, like that kind of shift out of just trauma and camp stories, yeah. as you have spoken about, is so great to witness. Um, there's a book coming out recently, like soon called Detransition Baby, that looks at transness in a way that they end up transitioning and they go back on their decision. And their reason for writing it was to look at queerness, not just being limited to transitioning and then being perfect and being an exemplary like trans person, but instead focusing on the fact that we can't always be linear and we have to have mess and confusion and go back and we can't be kind of held on this queer narrative of this is what we want. This happens and blah, 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 blah. Like we exist in the same kind of mistake prone Mm -hmm. human way that straight people do. And that just needs to be reflected in everything and having stories that show that diversity and the messiness of queerness as well. Yeah. It's great. And it's great to see them finally kind of coming out. Yes. For those who don't know what I was referring to, um, I recently released a piece of writing on the variation three website. Um, what was it? What was it called? The queer gap in queer work. Yeah. I tried to find a fun pun, but I just couldn't. It was a beautiful title, and it was Thank so beautifully you. written. Thank you. So beautifully um, written. <laughs> but in it, I basically talk about um, kind of why I created Variation Three and my show Bent, and um, uh, the reason behind that is because I realised that when you think about queer work in all of its forms, it generally falls into either the category high camp or tragedy. Um, and as a queer person, that doesn't leave a whole lot of other option. Um, yeah, so it's interesting that uh, other people are, are messaging me and saying they've noticed it because I did feel quite alone in it because it's not something that's brought up and mm. it's not something that's discussed. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, you know, thinking, having that thought in my head for the past however long now, months, it's it's all I can think about when I, when I flick through Netflix or when I'm thinking about the upcoming midsummer season it really is the case. Like the options are strictly limited to drag burlesque Mm -hmm. or something that's going to make me bore my eyes out. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Definitely. It's wild. It is wild. I'm reading this incredible book at the moment called Cruising Utopia, the then and there of queer futurity, which looks at queer performance and bit like stage productions or dance or drag, but those spaces where, queer people are performing not just as a performance space or kind of an example of camp, but as a display of imagined queer futurity lived Mm -hmm. in the present. And I just find that kind of concept so interesting because he's kind Mm -hmm. of looking at how for cis society and kind of straight society as a whole, there's this kind of notion of the future and this imagined future constantly, Mm -hmm. but in queer performance and on queer nights out, in this safe space of queer people, we kind of display an imagined future, which is so powerful. And kind of thinking of that concept of queer futurity and just the whole breaking of gender and self-expression, like so many people get dressed to the nines for a night out at a queer venue and abandon kind of any gender norms that they have. Like that in itself is somewhat an example of what, like I want my future to look like and I want the future to look like where there is that freedom. And then seeing, yeah, that kind of performative space as an example, not just of queer talent and performance, but as an example of an imagined future is just such a yeah. interesting and kind of powerful way to look at it. And I so- saw something recently and I'm going to just quickly pull out my phone. Yeah. Does that still record if I swipe away? Do we think? So It does. The microphone button is on. Yes. I saw this thing posted on Instagram by um, a wonderful page. Um, and it was this woman. Um, she's an Indian scholar. 
an environmental activist and an author. And she was saying um, that as a writer, it is her job to imagine a healthy, better world. Mm -hmm. And that just struck me because as artists, that is our job. Like, you know, that's what I'm trying to do with Variation 3 and with all our work. I want to show a world in which it's, it's not normalized, but it's, it's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I was doing my, my research development for Bent, I was interviewing a bunch of queer Australians and I asked everyone this question. I said, if you're, you're handed a ticket to a, to a queer work, you're handed a ticket and you don't know what it's about, you know, Mm -hmm. nothing at all, except that it is about the queer experience. What's something, what is something that you want to see in this show? Yeah. And someone said something um, that has stuck with me and that I've carried through everything. And she said, I want to walk into a show where I'm not offered the option of questioning the validity of queer people. Mm-hmm. And it just yeah, definitely. stuck me, stuck with me. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Yes. Like why, why in all depictions of queerness is that option even offered? Yep. Why are we allowing people to question us for just living? Mm-hmm. It's just so yeah, interesting. And because it is that semi-internalized, I think, hetero kind of cis mm-hmm. gaze of, for a lot of I think people and creators, unfortunately, there is that internal creation for a cis het audience because mm-hmm. that's what's always existed and stuff, yeah. and it's just that kind of we aren't at a point where we are solely creating for queer people just yet, which we are trying to do and things like that, but it is that kind of blurred space of kind of internalized and structural kind of homophobia that exists where we are still unlearning the fact that everything doesn't have to cater towards straight audiences. And these gaps kind of exist where it's like, I shouldn't be questioning validity because this is a queer performance by a queer artist and things, but it is like, that internalized kind of, yeah, hetero gaze, which yeah. is just hard to kind of break away from. I remember, I think, oh God, when was it? It was during COVID in season 13 of RuPaul's Drag Race when yeah. they had their super fans come on. Yeah. I remember being so excited to watch that episode because I was like, oh my God, they're going to take in some, like, some amazing queer fans. Yeah. And then it was a series of straight women. Yeah. yeah. And I remember being baffled. Mm-hmm. What? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I had this conversation as well recently about that whole double-edged sword of Mm -hmm. RuPaul's Drag Race and the capitalist sphere and how, while it is an amazing kind of form of representation and we are seeing queerness performed and lived in different ways, it is also that kind of just money-hungry, ever-growing, franchise-expanding kind of capitalist mentality. And it's... Serving to whichever audience will kind of give it money now. And yes, I remember I, I talk about this every single time I talk about RuPaul's Drag Race to anyone who cares to listen. Yeah, yeah. It started out in seasons one, two, and three as a show that was making fun mm-hmm. of franchises. Yeah. And making fun of this reality show mentality. Yeah. But it has become exactly that. The exact thing that he's making fun of. Yeah. To quote Batman, you either live oh, long is... enough to become the villain or you die. Wait, what is it? Oh my god. <laughs> I'm not sure. But I love you that either... you're quoting this. Okay, let me do this. No. <laughs> I don't know. Become the frack. Dear readers, you will know <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying. Um, dear readers. Readers, had... listeners. This, this will be subtitled this one. <laughs> Any readers. You either die a hero or you live long enough. You <laughs> This goon is going down well. 
Um, you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. Yeah. Yeah. Which, like, completely exemplified in that kind RuPaul's of RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah. And that expansion and, like, world kind of, not domination, but kind of taking over and trying to be present in every way is just that, who are you serving yeah. now, if not queer people? And it is incredible to have that kind of queer representation, but it's only in these past couple of seasons yes. that we have seen queer representation and not cis gay representation and but even still... then exactly i would question say. that because Definitely. if you think back to all stars what was it four manila was stopped from wearing her her pad outfit yeah everyone's yeah. being censored yeah it's not it's not a queer representation no. it's a filtered censored yeah. representation of what straight people expect queerness to be yeah like this is the first season of american drag race to have a trans man performing yeah. it. Yeah. Like, it's it's not. Baffle- and, like, obviously Rue's previous transphobia yeah. and stuff as well. And even, like, He's... contestants, like, milk performing and then being like, why have you come out in pants? Yeah. Is that kind of... Again, they've only just started adjusting now in these later series to the fact that drag is not this kind of high camp, it's cis not... gay man idea of what drag should be, but it's this, like, messy, dirty, creative queerness. Yeah. And like contestants like Crystal Method and stuff yep. that are kind of like making them change their car- categories to recognize that. Yeah. It's so refreshing to see. But again, it is that kind of instant catering to an audience yeah. and it's not authentic portrayals of queerness. Yes. And in this little book here, there's an amazing quote that is kind of saying how queer is a concept of the future mm-hmm. and we are not yet queer. Yeah. Um, can I read it? Of course you can. Beautiful. Please do. I highlighted and marked the page. I'm so excited. It says, Queerness is not yet here. Queerness is an ideality. Put another way, we are not yet queer. We may never touch queerness, but we can feel it as the warmth illumination of a horizon imbued with potentiality. We have never been queer, yet queerness exists for us as an ideality that can be distilled from the past and used to imagine a future. The future is queerness's domain. Queerness is a structuring and educated mode of desiring that allows us to see and feel beyond the quagmire of the present. The here and now is a prison house. We must strive in the face of the here and now's totalizing rendering of reality to think and feel a then and there. Some will say that all we have are the pleasures of this moment, but we must never settle for that minimal transport. We must dream and enact new and better pleasures, other ways of being in the world and ultimately new worlds. Queerness is a longing that propels us onward, beyond romances of the negative and toiling in the present. Queerness is that thing that lets us feel that this world is not enough, that indeed something is missing. Often we can glimpse the worlds proposed and promised by queerness in the realm of the aesthetic. The aesthetic especially, the queer aesthetic, frequently contains blueprints and schemata of a forward dawning futurity. Both the ornamental and the quotidian can contain a map of the utopia that is queerness. And that's by Jose Munez, which I think is just so interesting. Yeah. And again, looking at queerness as that, obviously looking at it as a more of a kind of general concept than a mm-hmm. self-identifying term, but as that idea of it's just constantly wanting things to change and be better and develop for a futurity that we are never at because futurity can always be expanded upon and mm-hmm. bettered. And just seeing that kind of shift now to expanding towards queerness is so exciting to see and be it in capitalist domains or 
and kind of queer venues and stuff, there is that kind of shift finally happening of obtaining queerness and cis gay men kind of being called out finally for not doing yeah. enough for queer communities and only doing enough for their own community and mm-hmm. that self-serving nature being addressed. And again, yeah, just kind of reminding yourself that while you feel like you're in queer community, there is always work and there's yeah. always space for this to change and develop and welcome new people in. Yeah. It's just such a neat way to look at queerness, I think. 100%. But yeah, I loved it. I read it saying, I was like, oh, wow, amazing. But it's, yeah, it's incredible. That was really nice. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, and that's like the idea of queer performances being a performance of a futurity and a utopia is like, this is what made me start thinking about that and how safe spaces and queer spaces and community spaces are what we want our future to look like. Mm -hmm. And we can't just take them as a Thursday or Saturday night. We need to start Mm -hmm. looking at that as the future we want completely. Yeah. And again, like queer venues that are not alcoholic and queer venues that are not nightclubs, but are spaces where people can be friends and have platonic intimacy and have intellectual discussion and bonding that isn't centered around alcohol or kind of sexual or hooking up culture. Like that is queerness because it's a future that doesn't Mm -hmm. exist yet. But it's tough. Like I think imagining a future is so hard when there's so many forms of like turmoil that exist in the world that I think are a product of toxic masculinity and a patriarchy mm-hmm. that for a queer utopia to exist we have to counter and defeat and yeah. right now like i think there needs to be drastic change in what the community accepts welcomes and celebrates yes and i think that we are seeing that but as someone who i used to be like nearly 150 kilos i was quite fat and i entered the community then before moving to melbourne mm-hmm. and i was treated horribly I have always been treated horribly when I was a fat person. And I still consider myself fat and curvy and I have a body that doesn't look muscled or kind of like the ideal kind of standard of what a body should look like. Mm -hmm. And when I entered the community as a fat person, I kind of faced ridicule and abuse and was turned away sexually and just treated quite horribly. And for a queer person who is looking for their community, that is such a dehumanizing and horrible thing to experience because you've left an abusive or toxic situation or a situation that doesn't nourish and uplift you only to then go to the people that are meant to do that and be turned away. Yeah. And I think especially the cis gay community has so much work to do in welcoming and celebrating fat and disabled and black bodies and just accepting full stuff. Yeah, exactly. Like it is still that very self-serving. Yeah kind of whatever I can get, I'm going to take it. And then I don't have to think about anyone else. And Mm. I just don't think that that is doing anything for us Mm. and for us to get closer to utopias or queer futures where people feel good and supported. Like we can't be self-serving. Yeah. And then, yeah, being now like someone who has lost weight and I guess is somewhat more conventionally could like attractive in certain ways. The different treatment that I have experienced in this community is so interesting. And yeah, it feels like I'm a different person because of how I've been welcomed and celebrated compared to how it was when I first kind of came mm. into the community. And that should just never be the case because no. obviously there are people who are still coming into this community who are as big as I am or was and who are being treated just as badly. Mm. And that just can't fly. Like we are each other's community. We are all that we have. And 
we need to be accepting difference yeah. and again because it's like that ingrained heteronormative view yeah. and kind of gaze that is saying this isn't attractive that we've just failed in our kind of move towards queerness to leave yeah. behind it's just a whole can of worms in itself right? it's just and that's why I do love that quote about queerness not being here yeah. yet because it it is like, how can we claim queerness when it's still so exclusionary yeah. and it still treats people so badly and yeah. spaces that claim to be queer still don't actually allow queerness to exist. Like, we can't claim queerness as our own yet yeah. because it is a future we haven't met or reached. I mean, I want to keep going, but that's all the time we have. That is so fun. I had an absolute ball. I did too. Absolute I do. Ball. I want to ask you a question. Yes, please. Do you have any queer works in mind that are not high camp or tragedy focused that you would like to share with our audience yes 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 i would love to (laughs) definitely definitely i'm definitely just going to do books um i would recommend cleanness by garth greenwell Mm -hmm. which while it does have elements of sadness to it it is the one of the most beautiful portrayals of gay sex that i have kind of read and the gay body And Garth Greenwell is just extremely talented and he writes the city and weather beautifully, but it is just that snippet of queer life and queer normalization and queer existence that is just so incredibly portrayed and just resonated with me so much. So I would definitely recommend that. And then I would recommend In the Dream House by Carmen Mercado, which is a nonfiction biography of her relationship with an abusive lesbian woman. And in the same way that although that is trauma, it is messy trauma and it's trauma that is not a happy ending of a queer couple getting together. It's a look at domestic violence in queer history and Mm -hmm. violence in queer relationships and how that's not being spoken about because we've been on this fight for marriage equality and to just be able to exist in relationships, but we're not looking at the ways that abuse and things can still manifest Mm. and it's incredible it breaks form in such beautiful ways one chapter is a choose your own adventure and she looks at the history of fairy tales and it's all just so so beautifully put together and then my third and final (laughs) it's so tough it's so tough i would say it's not out yet but pop on pre-order my autobiography of carson mccullers Mm -hmm which is Jen Chaplin writing about the author Carson McCullers, who wrote the book The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. And in her research into Carson McCullers, she found these lesbian love letters. And it kind of made her realise that in every depiction of Carson McCullers that has been written, it's been written by cis people or straight people. And it made her kind of realise that queer people and women haven't been able to write their own biographies historically. Mm -hmm. So in this autobiography written by someone that isn't the person it's about they have written them as they see them and they've looked at this queer love as a softness that's never been portrayed before and they kind of construct a biography about queerness that straight people haven't been able to formulate and it's like just such an incredible concept and breaking that kind of pre-written narrative that exists in queer history so they would be my three nice uh... But check them all out. And if you ever need a queer book recommendation, please come and see me at the Avenue Bookstore because I would love to give one. Mm-hmm. 
Lovely. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for having me. This was an absolute me. pleasure. You're welcome. <laughs> so welcome. Lovely. Um, where can people find you? Instagram is Bo Bigmore. Just Bo Bigmore. B-O instead of B-E-A-U. So just B-O-B-I-C-K-M-O-R-E. Lovely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, doll. That was cool.